The following message is from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about LifeSource is available at lifesource.org.au. Hey, if you have your Bibles, let's get into God's Word. Let's open up to Luke chapter 12. We are continuing our series on God's culture. And uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about getting rich with God. not a get-rich scheme with people. It's a get-rich scheme with God. How to get rich with God. You know, sometimes you hear stories that really impact you and you never forget them. You know, the stories that have impacted your life. I heard the story when I was a teenager, and that was probably 40 years ago. I'm 56 now, so... um, 40 years ago, I heard this story that has impacted me, and I've never forgotten it. And uh, and you say, what's the story? I'm glad you asked that question, because the story is about this lady who had a dream. She was um, very wealthy. She had a dream, and she dreamt that she died, and she went to heaven. So she was greeted at the pearly gates by a big angel, and the big angel said, welcome, you made it to heaven let me show you around. Anyway, so they started, she started the, the, the grand tour of heaven. How many of you know in heaven the streets are made of gold? How many of you know that in heaven there are mansions? And, and so, so she's going past these avenues with these huge, huge mansions. And she looked at this mansion that was much bigger than anything she'd ever seen before. And she goes, Who, whose house is this? And the angel said, Oh, this is your gardener's house. She thought, my gardener, my goodness, if my gardener is getting a house like that, boy, I wonder what mine's going to look like. Anyway, so, uh, so the angel is taking you around from First Avenue to Second Avenue to Third Avenue. She notices by the time they got to Fourth Avenue, it goes from 24 karat gold to 18 karat gold. And the street's getting, uh, yeah, it's still heaven, it's still gold. But not quite. The houses are getting smaller. The houses are getting smaller. By the time they finished the tour, she got to the real back blocks of heaven and she's thinking, oh, well, that's the back blocks. We're about to go back to the, to the avenues on the front avenue. And then the angel points right to the back block to this little shack and points to this little shack and says to the lady, and this is your eternal abode. She just about has a heart attack. And she says, What? This is my eternal abode. The angel said, I'm sorry, but this is the best we could do with the materials you sent up. And she woke up very fast in a cold sweat. And she began to realize that she was living a life for self rather than for others. And when she looked at her richness in heaven compared to a richness on earth, she saw the discrepancy. And this morning, I want to talk to you about getting rich with God. Because too often our focus is about getting rich here rather than getting rich there. And so there's this amazing parable. You know, over the last few weeks, we've been doing God's culture. We've been doing the parables And this parable is so 
confronting. How many of you like confronting parables? Yeah, Yeah, about three of you. (laughs) rest of you are saying, why don't you preach a nice sermon for once? This is a great sermon. This is an important sermon for you. So let's read Luke 12, 13 to 21. Then one of the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And so then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them saying, The ground of a certain man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will these things be which you have provided? Conclusion, so it is he. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let me talk to you about God's culture for a sec. Because God's culture is a beautiful culture. And God's culture is a culture of not withholding any good thing from you. You need to get hold of this. You need to get hold of this because God does not withhold. If you don't get hold of that truth, then you'll have a trust issue with God. Too many people have trust issues with God because they think that he is a withholder. But the culture of God is not to withhold, but to give liberally. And so so the Bible is full of illustrations of God giving liberally. Even this parable is a parable of God giving liberally. And the Bible is full of psalms and, and scriptures. Let me just give you a few. All these things will be added to you. Don't you love that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How many of you know God wants to give you things? But we've got to get our priorities sorted out. Too often what happens is that our focus is on the things rather than God. And so God says, if you seek me first and my righteousness, then I won't withhold the things. The things will come your way. So just, just understand that I'm not a withholder. I'll give you the things, but don't make the things more important than me. Then I love Psalm 84 verse 11, the last part. It says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Here it is. No good thing will God withhold. Don't don't accuse God of being a withholder when his word is so clear that no good thing will he withhold. How many of you know the adjective describing things there is, what's the adjective describing thing? Good. No good thing. How many of you know that sometimes God will withhold bad things from you? 
And sometimes what you think is good is actually bad. And so out of God's grace and God's love, he'll withhold some bad things from you that you've already interpreted as good. How many, how many parents have I got here? How many parents? How many of you know that as a parent, you have to discern as to what your kids want, whether it's good or bad? As far as they're concerned, it's all good. Hello? But you being wiser, know what's good for them. And that's what this scripture says, no good thing, no good thing. So you've got to trust God. And so it becomes a trust issue. The trust issue is this, I trust you, God, that you're not going to withhold good things from me. I trust you. But if, if you've got a culture that sees God as a withholder, as a meanie, as someone who's out to steal from you and rob from you and push you down, then you've got a wrong God culture. You've got a wrong concept of God. And that concept of God will do damage in your life if it's wrong. Here's another scripture in Psalm 34 verse 10. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I love that. Come on. No, no lack for those who seek the Lord. No lack. Come on. I, I can testify to that, that we've got no lack. And then James 1 verse 17 that Pastor Drew already quoted this morning. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. How many of you know that God's a good God? He's not a withholder. So once we've got that sorted out, once we've got that sorted out, that God is a good God and that he's not a withholder, then Jesus gives us a warning. And uh, here it is so clear. The whole introduction to this parable is beware of covetousness. So let's talk about covetousness. When, when was the last time you heard a message on covetousness? In actual fact, it's the 10th commandment. The 10th commandment is don't covet. Some of you don't even know the meaning of the word. And so this morning, let me share with you the meaning of the word covetousness. Covetousness means being greedy, having an insatiable desire for things. Webster's Dictionary says, it's a feeling or showing a very strong desire for something that you do not have, and especially for something that belongs to someone else. Can I just say that the spirit of our age is a spirit of covetousness? Can I just, can I say that? You say, well, well, how can you say that? All you've got to do is look at advertising agencies and the way they advertise because advertising is all about appealing to the spirit of covetousness of this age. How many of you know that we are the wealthiest generation that has ever walked this planet? We have more things than any other generation ever had. Is there anyone in this room that does not have a fridge at home? Is there anyone in this room that doesn't have a fridge? Do you know that 50 years ago, only the rich people had fridges? Huh? How, many of you, how many of you are old enough to remember the, the, the ice cart? Come on, come on. Who can remember the ice carts? Okay, look around, folks, because these are the mature people of our church. Okay. The last time I said, look around, these are the fossils, I had to buy... 
Helen Flowers. <laughs> because she got offended. So, uh, but now she's unoffendable, so I never have to buy flowers again because she's, I can get my hardest and she's never going to get offended again. Seriously, it's like, uh, you know, microwaves, dishwashers. Uh, 50 years ago, the husband was the dishwasher. <laughs> the kids were the dishwashers. Uh, uh, come on. But now people have got all these commodities. We've got unbelievable commodities. We've got unbelievable wealth. And there's still covetousness. We want more. We want more. There's this, there's this passion of wanting more. And parents, can I say to you that one of the, the worst things you can do for your children is feed this appetite for more. You know, one of the greatest things that you can do with your family is on a daily basis, stop and be thankful and be grateful. Come on, let's be grateful. Let's be grateful. When was the last time you got your family to just walk around the house and just point to the sheets in their bed and say, look at these beautiful sheets. Look at these sheets. Beautiful sheets. Let's, let's just stop right here and give thanks for the fact that you've got a bed with sheets and a blanket. Come on, let's stop right here and give thanks for that. Uh, come on, let's all gather around the bed and give thanks for this beautiful bed, this beautiful mattress, this beautiful pillow. See, see, we, we give thanks for the food, and that's a wonderful thing. But sometimes that becomes ritualistic as well. We don't actually stop and say, wow, look at this food. Come on, how many, how many teenagers do we have here? Come on, next time, Anna, let me, let me tell you how to shock your parents. Your father will have a heart attack. Okay, next time, you, before you say grace, just say, hey, Dad, I just, I'm just so overwhelmed by the generosity that exists in this house. I'm so overwhelmed by the fact that we've got a full pantry, a full fridge, and I am so grateful to God. I'm so grateful to you. I'm just so grateful, and I just want to shout for joy. He'll have a heart attack on the spot right there. He'll die, and you'll get all the inheritance right there like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, because covetousness creates a whinging generation. I can't believe it. I, I mean, I was shocked when I heard the news the other day. This guy in Switzerland, his father had given him a $400,000 Ferrari. God bless the fathers that can give kids $400,000 Ferrari. Okay, but such was his covetousness that rather than enjoying a $400,000 Ferrari, he despised his $400,000 Ferrari because he wanted a $600,000 Ferrari. And so he organizes someone to torch the Ferrari. Exactly what? That's, that's, that's a jailable offense right there, torching a Ferrari. Right there. Uh, that's sacrilege right there. Uh, anyway, the point is this, that covetousness is never satisfied because it's always wanting more. And then 
The tenth commandment is where covetousness is actually looking at what other people have and coveting what they have. So if you're looking at someone's wife and you start to covet someone else's wife, that's, that's, that's a horrible thing. That's, that's a dreadful thing. That's an insidious thing. You know, if you're looking, and, and the Bible talks about coveting not only someone's wife, someone's house, someone's servants, someone's ox and donkey. I, let's be honest, I doubt whether anyone in this room has ever looked at their neighbor's ox and thought, I want that ox. What would I give for that ox? <laughs> that's one of the commandments you haven't broken. Everybody's, give the next person next to you a high five and say, that's one you haven't broken. <laughs> oh, if you have, I don't know. Beware of covetousness. And then Jesus says, come on, here it is. The measure of one's life is not determined by things. The measure of one's life is not determined by things. But how often do we measure people's lives by what they have? You say, well, how do you measure someone's life? I measure someone's life by not what they've got but what they give away. That's how I measure someone's life. And at the end of the day, when you've lived your life, your life will never be measured by what you got, but it will be measured by what you gave away. People will not remember all that you attained for yourself, but they will remember what you gave away. They'll remember whether you gave them love, whether you gave them generosity, whether you showed them grace, whether you showed them mercy. In actual fact, your legacy is not by what you get, but your legacy is connected to what you give. People always love generous people. Generosity. And, I, and, I, and to be honest with you, I think that's the true measure of whether someone is wealthy. Not what they actually have, but what they give away. I, I, I remember talking to someone when I was a very young pastor many years ago. Had a big business, flash cars, but was never able to give away because he was hocked to his eyeballs. He just, he, you know, he had a lot of things, but in his mind, he could not be generous because he was hocked to the eyeballs. And my attitude is, what's the purpose of that? So it's all flash, it's all show, but there's no generosity. Then I look at my mother, who's a pensioner, and her generosity astounds me. I, I, I look at the generosity of my mother, and I think, you're a pensioner. How can you be so wealthy? And you say, well, what, is it she got lots of money in the bank? No, she hasn't got lots of money in the bank, but she's got a lot of love in her heart. She's got a lot of generosity in the spirit. And so that's what she gives out of. And covetousness, it closes all that. It tightens it up because covetousness is all about me. It's all about me. And Jesus says, beware of it. Beware of it. And then he gives this parable, amazing parable. And what you see in the parable is the contrast between a generous God and a covetous fool. And so the generosity of God, I love this. Here it is. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. God blessed him. 
Man, God blessed him with so much. God just poured out an abundance upon him. He was rich. His ground yielded plentifully. Lots of crops, lots of harvest, lots of blessing. And then the covetous man had a big problem. A big problem. How many of you know what his biggest problem in life was? Here he was, pulling his hair out. His problem was this. What shall I do since I have no room to store my stuff? My biggest problem in life is, where do I put all my stuff? That's his biggest problem in life. Where do I put all my stuff? Come on, let's be honest. Some of you ladies have got that problem right now. Huh? I just tell, I jokingly say to all, all the guys, if you create storage in your house, your wife will fill it. Make room, she will fill it. And want more. It's insatiable. It's amazing how much Tupperware takes space. It's just an amazing thing. Anyway, point that I'm making, this was his biggest problem. Hello, let's stop and think for a while. What, your biggest problem is where do I store all my stuff? Do you know what one of the biggest business ventures are? Right now in Australia, if you want to make money in Australia, guess where you need to invest. Are you ready for it? Storage. (laughs) Storage. And it's storage for people's stuff. And here was his problem. I, I got stuff. I've got so much stuff. I haven't got room to store it. But you know what? I want more stuff. So what's the solution to my problem? I know what I'll do. I'll pull down the storage that I have now and I'll create bigger storage so that I can have more room for more stuff. And then he gets to a point where he says, okay, wow. Now I'll just sit, I'll take ease, I'll relax, I'll eat, I'll be merry because my life is good. That's the problem right there, is that it's all about me. It's me-centeredness. Do you know one of the biggest dangers is for us not only to be me-centered in the world, but for us to be me-centered in the church? Well, we bring this whole me-centeredness, me-centeredness about things and about, about me, 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 me. It's all about me. And so I want to come to a church where they entertain me. I want to go to a church where they make me feel good. I want to go to a church where me gets blessed. I want to go to a church where they sing the songs that me likes. I want to go to a church where, where, where the pastor preaches messages for me. It's all about me. Whereas when you come into the Gospels, what you find is that me's got to die. Me's got to die so that a new nature can live. And that new nature is about others. That new nature says, you know, it's wonderful that me is saved. But now I'm concerned that my neighbor isn't saved. What can I do to help my neighbor get saved? It's wonderful that I'm blessed. But what can I do to help others get blessed? And so all of a sudden, things begin to change. And you know what? You don't become a true disciple of Jesus until you lose your me-centeredness 
and you become others-focused. And so this is the point. The point is that you can become others-focused when you begin to trust God, that God's going to provide for you, that God's going to open up amazing opportunities for you, that God will make sure that you will be blessed when you're blessing others, that when you give, you won't lack, but God will pour back to you, press down, shaking together, running over in your lap. See, you can't be generous if you don't have a revelation of the trustworthiness of God. You can't be generous because, because generosity then is seen as Not generosity, but me giving what I need. And what happens if I give it away and then I won't have enough for me? Then then the me will be lacking. And so because of the fear of me lacking, then I won't give. What is all that about? Come on. God's promised that he won't withhold from you. So don't you then be a withholder. Become generous. Become generous. Become generous. Not just in the physical things that you give away, but also the emotions and the encouragement and the spirit that you give away. What a wonderful thing it is to be generous with your words. What a wonderful thing it is to be generous with your love. What a wonderful thing it is to be generous with your acceptance, with your forgiveness with everything that's about you, just to be generous. What a wonderful thing to walk into a room and rather than saying, everybody, look at me. I'm here, everybody. Tell me how wonderful. Do I look good in this? What do you think? Do you like my new haircut? (laughs) What a difference to walk into a room and say, Wow, that was awesome. I loved your testimony. Wow, that was great drumming. I love what you did there. I just love your attitude to life. And and you're walking around and you're others, 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 others. How many of you know that when you walk out of the room, everybody says, what a breath of fresh air that person was. Don't even know their name, but that made me feel good. Can you see that? That's generosity. And once you're able to break that me-centeredness, and a powerful thing. And then here it is, the bottom line. Jesus actually calls this man a fool and then says, fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. Wow. Tonight, this night, your soul will be required of you. And then you're going to have to give an account. Everybody say stewardship. Stewardship is one of the great teachings of the New Testament. Many of the parables deal with stewardship. And this is a parable that deals with stewardship. And the whole premise of stewardship is this. Are you ready for this? The whole premise of stewardship. Are you ready for this? Everything belongs to God. I want everybody to say that after me. You ready? Here we go. Everything belongs to God. Fool, your soul will be required of you today, but the stuff that you've stored up, whose is it now? It's not yours. Didn't belong to you in the beginning. You just had it on loan for a season. You're a steward. Now, accountability. Everybody say accountability. Because stewardship is connected to accountability. 
because everything belongs to God and nothing belongs to you, then you will have to give an account for what you did, not with your stuff, but with God's stuff. What did you do with it? He said, oh, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm a person under grace. I'll never have to give an account. Bum, bum. Someone biblically illiterate told you that. Let me tell you what the scripture says. We will all have to give an account. You say, where does it say that? Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Let me read it to you. Romans 14, verse 12. Are you ready for this? Romans 14, verse 12. This is what it says. And Paul's writing to the, Roma, to the, to the church in Rome, and he says, So then, each of us shall give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account. Each of us. Turn to the person next to you and say, I think that's talking about you. Seriously, you're going to have to give an account of yourself towards God. Now, let, let, let me tell you about the two judgments in heaven. There's two judgments in heaven. One's called the great white throne judgment. That's found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. The great white throne judgment is the judgment that all non-Christians, in other words, everyone whose name is not written in the book of life. So there's the book of life, and if your name is written in the book of life, you have access to heaven, and you won't stand at the great white throne judgment. But if your name is not written in the book of life, then the books will be opened and every human being that's ever lived on this planet will have a book with their name on it and that book will be opened and basically you're going to have to give an account and it's all there, black and white, everything that you've done. Okay, so if you're a Christian, you're not exposed to the great white throne judgment. But if you're a Christian, you're exposed to something else called the judgment seat of Christ. And this, this is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. And, uh, and Paul talks about the, the judgment seat of Christ. The Greek is the bema. And at this judgment seat of Christ, we will give an account for what we've done. You say, well, you're in heaven. Yes, you are. So you're saved. So you'll never have to give an account for your sins that have been forgiven, that are under the blood. But you will have to give an account for what you did with the stuff that God gave you, with the gifts that God gave you, with the talents that God gave you, with the words that God gave you. You will have to give an account. And, and it's going to be a scary day for some people because they lived a really me-centered Christianity rather than an others-centered Christianity. Can I just say to you that if you live an others-centered Christianity, then you will be rich with God. And I'm going to finish by saying how to get rich with God. Are you ready for this? Three very simple points. You want to get rich with God. You want to get rich, have store up treasure in heaven. Here it is, three simple things. And, and this is not definitive. There could be another 30,000 extra things. But let me give you, from my perspective, the three main things that if you do these three things, you will definitely be rich with God. Are you ready for this? Number one, preach the gospel. Come on, preach the gospel. That word preach the gospel is declare the good news. Share the gospel with people. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Just share Jesus with people. In our church, we, we call preaching the gospel sharing Jesus. 
We try to take away the, the gravity of it. Preach, man, I can't preach. Can you share? Can you talk? Yeah, I can. Well, talk about Jesus with people. Talk about the good news. That's what the gospel is, the good news, the good news about Jesus. Can I tell you, if you tell the good news about Jesus, the good news about Jesus, you'll store up treasure in heaven. Second thing, here it is, make disciples. Matthew 28 verse 19. You, you want to store up treasure in heaven? Make disciples. Because like, that's the last thing Jesus said. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to absorb all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'll be with you always. Just this, make disciples. So how are you doing with that? How many disciples are you making? Because if you're making disciples, you're storing up treasure in heaven. How wonderful for Pauline to share that testimony. And what we've done, we've given Pauline opportunity to help make disciples. So she's running a connect group. And so you say, well, well I'm not called to be a leader. What we would love in our church is to actually transfer the name of being a leader to a disciple maker. So if you get to run a connect group, you become, you get to make disciples of those people in your connect group. So we're actually helping you to store treasure in heaven. Isn't that awesome? And then the third thing found in John 15 verse 8, you've got to bear fruit. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, that you bear much fruit. You say, well, what's, what's bearing fruit? That's a great question. Bearing fruit is all about using your talents, about being salt about being light, about helping others, about being generous. It's about what you invest in other people's lives. That's, that's bearing fruit right there. What are you investing in someone else's life? What are you investing in someone else's life? See, if you get covetousness out of your heart and replace it with generosity, I'm telling you, you will always bear fruit. Because generosity is all about giving to others, whereas covetousness is all about me, about me. And God's people have dealt with covetousness. We've dealt with it. It's like, yep, we're aware of it. Not only that, but we're staying away from it. We don't let it into our hearts. We just want to be generous and follow God. Let me finish just with one little story. 35 years ago, Anne and I were still in Bible college. And we weren't married yet. So with this was our last year. We were about to launch into ministry. We were about to get married. But one of the things that we literally had to discuss was about things. was about, okay, so what's our passion in life? What's our desire in life? And seriously, again, you know, we're talking the 80s where there was just extreme this and extreme that. And we made a decision that the focus for our lives was not going to be the things. And so we, we, we made a decision. I said, Sweet, sweetheart, do you have it in your heart to have a big two-story house and two cars in the garage and nice furniture and all these things? Because if that's what you've got in your heart, I can't promise them to you because it's not in my heart. The only thing that's in my heart is to serve God. The only thing that's in my heart is to pursue the call of God on my life. And I said, I can't promise you that, but I'll tell you what, I can promise you. I can promise you that I will 
always be faithful and loyal to you. I can promise you that I will love you passionately until my last breath. But what's the focus is to serve God. And you know what she said? Yeah, let's do that. That's awesome. And so, Because that was a test for me. Because at that stage, if Anne said, you know what? I want a big two-story house. I want money in the bank. I want this, that, and the other. It would have been, hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> Ain't going to happen because that's not in my heart. But you know what? Because we sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do you know what God did? He actually gave us the very things that we never had in our heart. And I look 35 years later, and I look at what God has given us. I'm amazed. I'm totally amazed. I look at this amazing church. I'm amazed. I look at these wonderful people. I'm amazed. I look at our beautiful family. I'm amazed. I look at our two-story house. I'm amazed. I look at the two cars in our garage, and one of them's a red convertible which I always wanted. And God gave it. It's like, how does that work? You keep it out of your heart and God will put it into your hands. See, take covetousness out of your heart. Put God there. And all these things will be added to you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord, I just want to thank you today for your amazing grace. And Lord, we just want to put it all into perspective. Too many people are putting things in front of you, becoming covetous for things. But Lord, we we want to be passionate for you. And Lord, as a church today, help us to be passionate for you. Come on, I just want you to open up the palms of your hands to heaven. If If you want your passion to be for God, I just, I just want you to say this. Lord, I take the things out of my heart. I don't want my passion to be for things. I want my passion to be for you. So I know that I came into this world with nothing. And when I leave, I can't take anything but I can leave something behind. My generosity, my love, the fact that I touched people with something good. Help me, Lord, to leave a great legacy of love, joy, and peace. Wherever I go, Lord, help me to be a reflection of a God person. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thanks for listening to this message from LifeSource Christian Church MP3 Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at lifesource.org.au to find out more about our church and to also access other free resources.